Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Stir, we've got the return of Kyrie Irving. The Knicks are looking like a playoff team. And we got some breakout games for some young stars. But first, I want to start with Steph Curry, second all-time in three-pointers made. Pass Reggie Miller. Yeah. What were your thoughts? Honestly, I think um, we all basically just were seeing this as a matter of time. Everyone basically deep down knows that Steph Curry is going to end up taking this lead for all-time three-pointer eventually from Ray Allen. Um, and it's only just a matter of time before he passes him too. But it's just incredible because he's been able to do it at such a quick rate. And the way that he's been able to do it off the dribble at the size that he's at, I think Shaq said it once that he's never seen a player of Steph Curry's physical profile be able to affect a defense as a team defense the way that he forces defenses to adjust to him. So um, I think it's incredible that he's been able to remain this consistent for this long. And I honestly think that he'll be able to keep it up because shooting is an asset that's not going to really decline as much with age as athleticism does and finishing ability around the rim as we've seen with other great shooters, such as Ray Allen and Reggie Miller, um, maintaining your shooting stroke, that's usually the last thing that goes. So I fully expect for Steph Curry to eventually take the all-time lead in threes. And I think there's no question at this point, even though he's not number one yet, in my mind, he's the best three-point shooter of all time. What about for you? Yeah, I agree. Uh, in terms of how fast he was doing it, Steph did this in about 11 and an eighth of a season. Uh, and last season, he barely played. I think he played like five games. Ray passed Reggie 14 and a half seasons in, and Reggie did it in 18 seasons. So with Steph making 300 to 400 three-pointers per season, if he stays healthy, he'll pass Ray Allen's 29-73 by the middle of next season. Uh, you can also look at his splash bro, Clay Thompson, who has 1,700. He usually makes about 200. Uh, per game, but or per year rather, I feel like Clay is probably going to be there at number three or number two if he plays for another eight seasons, similar to what you're saying, that he's a shooter, the longevity of his career is going to be there because he doesn't have to rely on his athleticism. And Clay will likely play later into his career because he probably feels like he lost two of his prime years with these injuries back to back. Um, I and then, yeah, and I think in terms of like, maybe I'll ask you first, where, where do you rank him uh, among the league's best players? Uh, in my mind, it's just, it's hard to say because he is, he is pretty much seemingly back at the level of production that he was when he won his MVP, not quite at that level, but seemingly close to it. But at this point in the league, I think that I'd have to put him maybe around the four spot. I think he's still a top five player, but I can't put him in my top three just because for me personally, I place a lot of value on players that can be elite and impacting both phases of the game on offense and defense. And although Steph Curry has turned himself into a respectable defender, despite physical limitations, he's very knowledgeable about where to be, jumping passing lanes, generates a fair amount of steals. But ultimately, Steph Curry is a player that in playoffs, all the teams always target him. They always try to run pick and rolls to get a switch on him. He's always the guy that they look for on defense because of his physical limitations. And that's something that unfortunately, as great as he may be, he'll never be able to change. So as much as I love what he brings on offense, I just feel like I can't put him in my top three today, knowing that there's other players in the league that can make a similar impact on offense, but also have an elite impact on the defensive end as well. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I have him on my fourth spot as well. I have LeBron, KD, Giannis as one through three, Steph, and then Kawhi is number five with Luka, Jokic, and Embiid looking in. There's young players that are obviously amazing and having stellar years, but they just don't have the history that the other five do in terms of dominating the league. But I would say of any of those eight, Steph, I feel, is the largest impact of any player on the game itself because LeBron, while he is a dominant uh, force, nobody is saying, oh, I'm definitely going to be a 6'8", 260-pound linebacker that is also amazing at passing and has finesse at the rim. 
but for people to say, I can be a sharpshooter in the league and have quick handles and still be lanky. Uh, I think it's given a lot of people, a lot of kids, things to aspire to. But then also you see around the league, we've seen deeper shots and higher scoring ever since Steph came into the league. When he came in, the league went from about 96 to 100 points per game to now for the last three years, the league average has been 111 points per game. And three-point attempts went from 18 to 35 a game. Teams are shooting at twice the rate of three-pointers, and obviously two-pointers have gone down conversely. So huge impact on the game, and I do think it's purely from him because of how much he got like media generated about him, but also just the ridiculous shots he was taking back in 2014, 2015. So, uh, you know, shout-out to Steph for changing yes, I agree the game right before our eyes. I think basically LeBron changed the game for players in terms of changing like player the ownership. way that players look at, right. The way that players look at their own career and their own power in the business aspect of the basketball game. But I think that Steph Curry changed the way that the game is actually played. As you can see, you mentioned all those stats. He basically revolutionized and changed the perception of what was considered to be an efficient or good shot before Stephen Curry, a lot of the shots that he takes and now other players are taking around the league would be considered a really bad shot to take because it just wasn't considered a high probability make during those times. But after Steph Curry, players around the league and teams around the league realized that the three point shooting that he brings from those deep ranges is game changing and game breaking. And you can still have, certain players that can hit those with consistency and regularity look at Damian Lillard now I don't think that Damian Lillard would have gotten the green flag to take all the shots that he does now if Stephen Curry hadn't paved the way first to show that this was a possible way to play and win um, before the Warriors won it all with this playing style high octane offenses and fast paced score first teams were considered a gimmick that couldn't possibly win a championship it always had to be the defensive team with the big dominating center Steph Curry basically showed that a perimeter oriented team with a fast-paced offense actually is um, a style of play that could be conducive to winning a championship so I agree with what you said huge shout out to him he's definitely going to be a hall of famer and he definitely changed the game for a lot of people yeah I mean even thinking about the centers and the power forwards like the amount of centers and power forwards and I don't have the exact stats that are now stretch fours or stretch fives or people that five years ago would have never taken a three-point shot are now taking three-point shots um, just because that's what's required in today's game. So definitely huge impact on the game. Flipping over to another point guard of the league, Kyrie Irving returns after a six or seven game hiatus. Wanted to uh, get your thoughts on how Irving has looked being back and what the fit has looked like with the three net players, big three on the court. Yeah. Um, to be honest, it's kind of looked the way that I expected that it would. In other words, disjointed and just a little bit um, out of sync. It looks like in the time that they've returned, they've gone one and two, two losses, one win since Kyrie's been back. And I think that the single biggest difference that you'll see since his return is the massive hit that James Harden has taken statistically across the board since his return. He went from a guy that was averaging close to 30 points a game, definitely over 10 assists a game, and looked extremely comfortable in there, um, basically orchestrating the offense as the lead ball handler, finding Katie in his spots, finding everyone essentially in their spots. He did turn it over a lot, but he looked like there was a clear identity and chemistry forming when it was KD and James Harden playing and they won all those games as well the ones that was just KD and James Kyrie comes back and KD is not as affected as much by this because I think that both Kyrie and James Harden deep down know that I mean KD is the alpha guy on that team so his role is not going to really change um, he's still going to be KD he's going to be the guy that you want to look for first but between James Harden and Kyrie, who are both heavily isolation players that require the ball in their hands, it basically takes one of them out of the game when the other one is being too aggressive. 
because we know that James Harden has never really been an off the ball type player who's going to cut through screens and run around off the ball. He essentially is going to wait to receive the ball and do something in isolation off the dribble for himself. And Kyrie kind of does the same thing. So when you have that, you kind of have a dynamic of your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. And it kind of freezes everyone else out. Um, despite that, they're still putting up a ton of points, but they're still losing these games because again, their defense and their depth are showing through. As much as they're scoring points, they're allowing even more. We've seen, and we'll go into this later in more detail, but two players recently set their career highs against them in the last two games that they lost, or um, in the last two of their three games. So the defense is still a liability. Kyrie and James Harden, again, not elite perimeter defenders. And we saw that most of their, their depth, which was an asset for them before, has now been depleted since the James Harden trade. So they have to play their starters extremely heavy minutes um, to the point where Kevin Durant had to rest one of the games because they played him nearly 50 minutes because they couldn't trust their bench. So at this point, it's still looking to me like the Nets' best option would be to trade Kyrie for depth and supporting pieces that would complement James Harden and Kevin Durant. Yeah, I think they're having growing pains, like you alluded to. Uh, I called it the first night with the Cavs that they were going to lose, which they did in double OT, and they lost to the Cavs again. Also, James Harden, I feel at this moment, has become the third option on the team in these games because Irving has been the scorer and James has been the distributor. So Kyrie over these last three games, scoring 34.3 points per game. James is at 17 points and 11 assists per game in each of these games. So I think they do need to figure out if that's going to be how things are going to operate moving forward. And if so, then Kyrie needs to learn how to play without the ball and move around a bit more because he's probably the more conditioned one out of the two and then let the offense run through James, similar to what you saw prior to Chris Paul getting to Houston. Um, but I agree with you. They're clearly, they clearly lack depth. I've seen rumors that they're going to go after JaVale McGee for some center depth and potentially another three point shooter. <laughs> um, and We'll see if they trade Kyrie Irving or what they're able to trade to get another player. Because after those three, yeah, they have Joe Harris, but they don't really have anybody else that's worth giving up in order to get back an elite talent. So either they're going to have to look to the waiver wire to find guys who haven't played this year, or they're going to have to trade Kyrie Irving uh, to get somebody else. Yeah, I agree. At this point, I just don't see another way for them because realistically, you have, I know that James Harden generally doesn't have too many injury concerns, but you do have a guy that's coming off an Achilles surgery in his first season back, and you have another guy who's perennially injured. So if you were to play them at the same rate that you've been playing them these last couple of games, meaning nearly 40 minutes a night because every game is closed because you can't defend anybody and you have to win a shootout every game, you're probably going to be risking the longevity and health of your pillars in the process. So I think that honestly, what they had looked pretty good with Harden and Durant. Um, it looked even better than what they had when I saw Irving and Durant and that looked pretty good too. But it just seems to me that Harden and Durant are a little bit more complimentary of one another. And it seems like Irving just seemingly can't find a situation where he can be the lead guy. It seems like he always wants to leave whatever team he was on because he wants to go be the lead guy somewhere just to be overshadowed. So it seems like that's happened again. But, like um, we'll uh, see what happens. I feel like he's just like, hey, Kevin was my friend first. And James like, I played with him first, bro. My <laughs> friend first. <laughs> Definitely. Interesting locker room situation for sure. Yeah. And in terms of where I put them in the East, uh, from like a pecking order perspective, I have them going to the playoffs. I do think that they're going to end up right where they're at the four or five seed, because like you're talking about Durant Irving are going to need to rest. You expect more growing pains and they're going to have to acclimate any new additions that they have, whether they trade Irving or they get somebody else via a trade. So I don't think that they're going to supplant any of the people in one through three. I do think that they're going to sit around that four or five seed likely with a team like the Pacers and, and play them in the four game series. Um, but I, I think they could still have a shot at the title. Um, 
but they're going to have to figure out a little bit defensively, which you don't expect from a team that has Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, and Mike D'Antoni. That also doesn't have the necessary personnel. So also your main stars who usually set the tone for you on that end of the floor don't play that end, except for Kevin Durant sometimes. So uh, it'll be interesting. I think that you're right. I see them as a four seed, a dangerous four seed, because obviously they have the most talent. So if these guys on any given day are going to go off for 40, 50 points, it's going to be hard. You have three guys on your team that could potentially on any given night hit that. So in the playoffs, they're obviously extremely dangerous still. But I see them going in around a four seed as well. So speaking of the playoffs, the New York Knicks right now, I know we always talk very, very poorly about the Knicks and their ownership and the general decisions they make. But the Knicks right now are sitting in the eighth spot and quietly have the top defense in the NBA. Is this for real? Like, is this, this is the most 2021 thing ever. Can this team actually make the playoffs? Are they actually turning it around? So got into a little bit of a Twitter spat, or rather I started a Twitter spat because I do not think that the Knicks are, are the number one team in defense. Uh, I know that their stats say otherwise right now, but I do not see that holding for the rest of the year. That being said, I think that they are playing inspired with Tibbs, and it looks like he finally has the right young guys to help steer the ship in the right direction. You saw Tibbs didn't pan out in Minnesota, and you have Tibbs also not panning out in Chicago when they had the, the youth more uh, youthful guys coming into the locker room. and they So I think Tibbs needs to be in the right situation with the right players in order to be effective, similar to Jimmy needed to be in the right situation with the right players to have an impact and be effective as well. Um, in terms of them being able to make the playoffs, here's the problem. They might be allowing the fewest points per game, but they're also making the second fewest points per game with 101 points per game, which that would have been great 10 years ago, like we talked about, but that's not going to cut it in today's NBA. You have teams every single night eclipsing 130, 140. And on an average basis, the league is scoring 111 points per game. So they lost last night to the Trailblazers. Trailblazers beat them 116 to 113. Um, that's the highest scoring game I've seen from the Knicks in a while. They don't have any great offensive players on the roster, save for like Julius Randle, who's having a breakout season, scoring about 25 points per game. So I don't foresee them going far without having any offensive firepower. And you also have to look in the East. Right now, the Knicks sit at the eighth seed. The Heat have been reeling without any of their players, pretty much. Toronto has won five of their last six and is playing extremely well. So their pieces are starting to mesh more and the magic are still in the hunt and they started off the season, I believe three or three and or, or uh, four and oh. So given all of that, I don't see them making the playoffs. Are they turning it around? Yes. Do the Knicks fans have something to be excited about? Yes, because they have cap space, a good coach and a lot of young guys who are starting to play well. So it's more of an attractive destination, but I don't think it'll be this year. I think they missed the playoffs for the eighth year in a row. Yeah, I know that Knicks fans are extremely pleasant for the most part. And, and as much as I'd like to tell them that they're going to make the playoffs, I just can't see the Knicks as one of the eight best teams in the East. They are much improved. I think that they finally have started to draft better. I really like the pick of Emmanuel quickly. I think that he's developed faster than anyone would have imagine this point and I think that RJ Barrett still has time to become an impactful piece he's shown modest improvement this season so it's not out of the question that he could one day become a very important contributor for their franchise but as of right now it seems that Julius Randle is their best offensive weapon and no one else on the team can consistently get a shot as you alluded to at the end of the day the name of the game is still scoring you got to be able to score baskets especially in today's NBA to be able to stay in games. And it just seems like they have too many liabilities on offense and they've been jumping on teams 
that have otherwise been affected by COVID protocol, injuries. There's a lot of things going on right now in the first half of the season that is basically allowing teams like the Knicks to basically benefit from the randomization of the lineups because so many players are in and out for so many different teams. And we see a lot of good teams underperforming right now based on what we'd expect. But I do expect that by the end of the season, these playoff teams that are right now underachieving are going to straighten things out and teams like the Knicks are going to be squeezed out. So as much as I, I think that they're improving a lot and I like some of the young pieces that they've got, honestly, I'm really surprised that Tom Thibodeau is getting this kind of production from them because he's always known to be a more veteran type coach who prefers a more mature group of guys. And this is kind of different for him having to basically bring guys up and develop them, but he's performing the role really admirably. It's probably one of the first times that I can say James Dolan has made a good hire. So I think that they're turning it around, but I'd rein in my expectations. I don't expect them to make the playoffs this year either. Yeah, and I mean, I think the Leon Rose hire as well as general manager was solid for Dolan. We saw what Rob Palenka has done for the Lakers. So if Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau are your front office, I think that that pans out well for the Knicks. As far as James Dolan, hopefully he can get away from the team as far far as possible so that he doesn't have his hand in things. Um, but yeah, it, it's an exciting time to be a Knicks fan. However, I think people- They haven't had say, anything to root for in years. But think about yeah. this. Just think about this, guys. Put it in perspective. I don't know uh, what teams our respective viewers are all rooting for right now, but imagine being in a sporting fan situation where the greatest excitement that you've had in 10 years was cheering for a team that maybe is going to make the eighth spot and whose best player is Julius Randle. That is the best thing that's happened in the last seemingly five years of being a Knicks fan. Honestly, that's kind of bleak, but um, it is turning around. You know, it's something. Yeah. All right. Well, enough of the Knicks, but let's talk about some other young stars in the league. Colin Sexton and Bam Adebayo have taken large leaps from last year, culminating in career highs of 42 and 41 point games against the Nets, respectively. Discuss whether you think these players can sustain that production. Hmm. I mean, the thing is, this is a, obviously a huge spike in production from both of them in the scoring department. Colin Sexton has been elevating his scoring average all year long. He's been averaging right around 26 or 27 points a game on the season. So for him, it's really not that crazy to imagine that he's going to be a 24 to 25 point a game score the rest of the way, just because he's going to get the volume of opportunities and shots being the main offensive option on that Cavaliers team. There's really not a whole lot of pressure or expectations on him. They're not really expected to make the playoffs. He can play free out there and he's going to get his attempt. They want to develop him. So I really do think that Colin Sexton is going to take that big leap, honestly, and maybe even catch up to Darren Fox in terms of production because it seems going to put up around 24 to 25 all year long. The question is, can he develop other aspects of his game? He's only averaging four assists per game. So as a, as a lead point guard, you'd expect that to be a little bit higher. But his shooting percentages have been solid across the board. He's hitting 45% of his threes on 4.4 attempts. He's shooting 51% from the field overall. So it's not like he's a volume scorer because he's taking a bunch of shots and he's inefficient. We've heard his name already several times this year, so it's not like he's not being game planned for. Um, I think that he'll keep it up. As far as Bam goes, um, Bam took a huge step in the offensive department as well. I think a lot of Heat fans were happy to see that. One of the biggest things with him was when he came into the league, unlike Colin Sexton, he was not viewed as a player that was going to come in as a franchise type player who was going to be your main focal point offense or any of that. This is this version of Bam that we're seeing right now is much different than the version of Bam many envisioned when he came into the league. So right now we've got him putting up nearly 21 points a game, nine rebounds, 5.5 assists. He's bringing up the scoring average every year by nearly four or five points, which is really impressive. I think that for Bam, he's definitely going to be able to maintain around 20 to 21 points a game easily because they're definitely going to keep encouraging him 
to take more shots because if you're the Heat, he's shooting 61% from the field. Why wouldn't you want this guy taking more shots? He's your highest efficiency shooter that you have on the floor. Not to mention the greatest improvement that he's meant has been his jump and free throw percentage, which has gone up to 87.7% in his last 10 games. This is a player who before used to shy away from attacking the paint, probably because he shot free throws at a sub 70% clip, probably hurt his confidence to miss free throws in important situations. That probably had a lot to do with why he may not have been as aggressive. He has the physical tools, but it seems now he's putting those tools to use a lot more because he's knocking those shots down at the line. He wants to get to the free throw line. And if he keeps knocking them down at this rate, which I think he will, there's no reason he shouldn't be able to average around 20, 21 points a game, even when the other main offensive focal points of the heat return. I'm sure he's still going to get his 15, 16 shots a game. So um, I think that this will be a year where both of these players take a, a next step in their development and sustain it. Yeah, I think uh, I think they've elevated their production, but I also, like, not only do they want to, they need to do this. Uh, for Colin, Cavs don't have another score that's shooting or making over 20 points per game. And Andre Drummond is their second highest scorer on that team. He's likely to be traded by the deadline. So by losing their second best scorer, he is the face of the team. And if they want to stay in the playoff race at the sixth seed or higher, they need him to be playing elite and have this type of season. And for Bam, he have been without Jimmy since January 9th, Tyler Hero for the last couple of games. So Bam just got paid to be the guy sometime in the next five years. So he needs to take that leap that the other notable big men have taken in the league, like Joel Embiid, like Jokic. So clearly seen some clips of him working on his mid-range and driving ability, but he'll need to accelerate that growth in order to prevent the heat from reeling too much further down in the standings. And they have a tough schedule ahead uh, with, with some of those games. So I, I think between the two, I'd also say Bam's game was a little bit more impressive to me because the Heat, like I said, have been undermanned as compared to the Cavs who have had all of their pieces. Additionally, Colin did it in double OT, whereas Bam did it in four quarters purely. So um, Collins was impressive, and I also thought it was nice that he did it against Kyrie wearing Kyrie's number on the night that Kyrie had a tribute given to him in Quick Loans Arena. So it was kind of like a chip on Colin's shoulder, like, yeah, you were good as number two, but I'm better. Um, but I'll still give Bam the slight edge there. I agree. Bam's game was a little more impressive to me also just because I think they faced a higher level of competition. I know the other game went to OT, but they didn't have Kevin Durant, their best player. So um, they didn't have to deal with the biggest problem the Nets present. I give more credit to Bam for having made 41 points in much fewer minutes playing them at full strength after they had just lost two in a row. You know, the Nets were very hungry to come out and get a win to quiet all the chatter about their two-game losing streak since Kyrie's return. So they definitely came out and played some inspired ball. Um, honestly, the, the Nets shot great against the Heat. The Heat overcame some really strong offense before. They didn't overcome. They ended up losing, but they made it a very close game. And that was despite some really great offensive performances on behalf of the Nets. He also did it on fewer shots, very efficient. Um, honestly, he only made one three the whole game and still scored 41 points, which is something you don't see these days anymore that often, usually when you see players break in the forties and fifties, they've got like four or five, three pointers made, which just speaks to, uh, what his efficiency was that night, along with the usual elite defense that he provides, asking him to be the backside and safety net for the Heat's entire defense. But, um, speaking of these two players, both of these guys are younger than 24 years old. We obviously know that out of the under 24 group, if you had to pick a guy to build your franchise around, you'd be crazy not to take Doncic but, um, or Trey Young, potentially. But between these two guys, which one do you think is going to have the better career, higher ceiling? Which one would you rather build your team around? Yeah, I, I think about the league and where the league is right now and where the league is going. And I think from like a dynamic point of view, I'm going to have to go with Bam on this one because passing big men, I feel they're going to be the face of the league for the next 10 years. I've talked a lot about Jokic and Bede. If Bam can make that kind of leap from an offensive standpoint 
he already has the defensive components and does have a good eye for passing. I expect Giannis to also grow as a passer in terms of his development over the next couple of years. So I just think that the way the league is heading from a dynamic point of view, Bam has a higher ceiling because Colin is the point guard. But if you look at the distribution numbers, Colin isn't the main distributor on that team. It's Garland. So since Colin doesn't average high assists, he has a more limited repertoire uh, than Bam. So I think therefore Colin has a lower ceiling. Um, Colin's just going to be a very flashy, I can score every single night kind of player. And probably to the later end of his career, will switch to being a shooting guard, similar to what you saw with AI back in the day. Um, but I think Bam has just a better um, toolkit that he can use day in and day out versus Collins' more limited scoring ability. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know that Bam Adebayo will ever be as good of a scorer as Collins Sexton. I expect that, I mean, they're both going to continue to improve. I just don't know that Bam's ever going to catch him on like scoring average or anything like that. But I agree with you that I think Bam has the higher ceiling overall just because of all the different ways that he affects the game. Bam is probably one of only two or three guys in the NBA that can reasonably guard every single position, one through five, which is extremely invaluable in today's NBA. You saw how in the playoffs, everything becomes a chess match. It all becomes about exploiting weaknesses, trying to bend your defense to give your offense the look that it wants. It becomes extremely important in situations like that to have a player at Bam's position that isn't a liability on the perimeter can go out there, defend the other team's best player on the perimeter, but still get back inside and be somebody that can be a rim protector and someone that shuts down the paint. So his defensive versatility, obviously we know he's, he's always been an elite defender, but um, his offensive game this year has given me um, reason for optimism to believe that his ceiling is going to be higher just because his ability to knock down free throws and jumpers has opened up every other aspect of his game. It's going to make him a better passer. It's going to allow him to drive to the basket more. It's going to make him more lethal because you're going to have to respect him from further out, which is a pretty scary prospect because there's not too many players in the NBA that are going to be taller than 6'8", weigh more than 240 pounds and be able to handle the ball, distribute. And we know that there's a guy like Jokic that can do that from that position. But Bam is unique in the sense that he's extremely athletic. Jokic beats you with his mind and with his elite passing ability. He sees the play a couple of plays ahead of you, but he's not gonna be the kind of guy that is gonna physically dominate you because he blew past you or he just pulled off some insane athletic move that only he can do. Um, Bam, on the other hand, is an athletic freak. And if he were to be able to fully harness the potential that he's got in terms of his athletic ability and what that could do for his offensive game. He should be able to be similar to a poor man's Giannis in the different aspects that he can affect the game. And I would even argue that at this point, I might trust Bam Adebayo to make a jumper more than Giannis. He's definitely the much better free throw shooter. So usually free throw shooting ability speaks to true shooting ability. And I think that Bam Adebayo at some point in his career might even be able to add that three-point shot. We've seen a lot of players, his position at it later on in their career. His jumper right now is looking pretty smooth in terms of mechanics. I wouldn't be surprised to see him add the corner three, which is only going to elevate his game even further. So um, I expect him to continue to grow. Yeah. I mean, Bam has taken a couple threes this season. Uh, he's 50% on threes. He's got uh, 61%, like you said, from field goal, uh, like, field goal percentage. Giannis, 54%, 30% from three, also shooting an abysmal 58% from the free throw line, whereas Bam is shooting uh, 86% from the free throw line. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I do trust Bam more so to take uh, a shot versus Giannis. Uh, just Giannis is more of a dynamic player at this moment. Yeah, Giannis just has a better physical toolkit at the moment, but he basically, I think that has been to his detriment in some aspects because he's just been such an elite uh, physical specimen that he's almost been able to rely on that and hasn't really had to be forced to develop other aspects of his game quite as much because it's so easy for him to get to where he wants in the paint and just finish with easy dunks and layups. 
as obviously as we've seen the playoffs, defenses lock in and take that away from you. So it becomes that much more important to have other aspects to your offensive game. Well, Bam's only 23, so he's got three years to catch up to where Giannis is now. So hopefully he continues uh, to grow there. And Jimmy, Pat, Aaron, Spolstra just hammered into him. All right. So uh, speaking about the young stars, let's transition to the all-stars. We know that right now, obviously, extremely early in the year, chances are not all these picks are going to remain the same. A lot of things can happen from now and then. But it is episode number 10. We figured we'd do something a little special for you guys and give you our way too early East-West All-Stars. So, Eric, I'm going to pass it over to you. Based on what we've seen so far in the year, who are your East and West All-Stars? Yeah, we'll do, uh, we'll do starters and six men. But to start with the backcourt for the East, I have Ice Trey Young and Bradley Beal. Trey Young is scoring 25.3 points per game. His assist numbers are at 8.7 points per game. He's got a player efficiency rating of 22 points, or I'm sorry, player efficiency rating of 22. Um, but he's just an electric player, exciting to watch. This all-star team is obviously going to be partly fan vote as well as coaches vote. I think Trey gets both, so I see him starting in the backcourt with Bradley Beal, who is just playing out of his mind. And I, I just, playing in the All-Star game has to be his favorite time of year because he gets to play with players that elevate his game and where he doesn't have to play out of his mind every single night. But 34 points per game, shooting almost 50% from the field. Um, it's just amazing, amazing stellar year, true professional. Uh, and, and deserves to be in the all-star game. From the front court, I've got Kevin Durant. Obviously, he is just dominant as ever this year, will be the first player really to come back in full force from an Achilles injury. So obviously doing extremely well. Got Giannis, um, just both ends of the four, dominating and up there as well, I have Embiid starting at the center position, who this year has really come into his own. Embiid, the last three games, 37 points per game, 11 rebounds per game, 61% from the field, 44% from three-point, and 81% from free throw. So just in the last three games, dominating, but he's been doing that all year. So Embiid, a likely MVP candidate, will round out the starting five. For the sixth man, this was tough for me. Uh, it was between two players on the same team, but I have to give it to Jalen Brown. He is dominating the season. Uh, he's got fourth in the East right now at 27.3 points per game. Got a slightly higher player efficiency rating than Jason Tatum right now at 26. Um, but Jalen Brown last night dominated as well uh, without Jason Tatum playing. He's just been having an amazing, amazing year. So I'd have to give him a six-man spot at the moment. Yeah, honestly, um, I, I agree with a lot of the picks that you made for the East. Um, for me personally, I, you can't argue against Embiid starting at center at this point. I mean, how could you? So that one, you have to give it to him. That's, that's a lock at this point. And I think that that one's going to be probably the safest pick for the rest of the year, barring an injury to make the starter for that position. So Embiid definitely lock for that one. Kevin Durant, a lock at the forward position. Guy has been basically the same guy that we saw before the Achilles injury. He hasn't dropped off at all. So I think that Kevin Durant is his usual elite self again. Um, you have to give it to him. I think that where I differ from your opinion comes down to what position you think that Jalen Brown is. I personally um, have Jalen Brown as a shooting guard because that's normally where he lines up for the Celtics and he's also listed as a shooting guard officially. So for me, I would probably put Trey Young's season behind Jalen Brown's and would put Jalen Brown as a starter over Trey Young just based on the fact that I think that the Hawks have underachieved a little bit to this point compared to what a lot of people thought was going to happen. And even though Trey Young is putting up really impressive numbers on the surface, 
you see that Jalen Brown has a much higher uh, player efficiency rating. He is honestly taking a huge step in the offensive scoring department on, and still providing the elite defense that he always provides. And going back to what I said before, um, I really just love players that can affect both aspects of the game um, at an elite level. And Trey Young is kind of similar to Steph in that he only really dominates one phase of the game. So I would put Jalen Brown as a starter instead. Um, I still have Bradley Beal as my starter in the backcourt as well, just because how can you turn down a guy averaging 35 points per game on such efficient numbers, nearly 50% shooting from the field, 35 points per game. If you were to do that all year, um, it'd be really hard to not put him as an all-star starter, despite whatever the Wizards record may turn out to be. So you got to give it to him. And for my final forward spot, Giannis Antetokounmpo doing the same thing he always does. Honestly, he makes it look so casual. Um, it's like you look at his stat line and you're not even impressed by it anymore. You just take it for granted, kind of like LeBron's, because you just expect him to do this every time. So um, those are my starters for the for the East. And coming off the bench, honestly, this may be a little controversial just because I know that Trey Young really is having a great year. But um, I just feel like we need to talk about this guy a little more. Jeremy Grant, um, if I'm being completely fair, I'd probably take Trey Young in real life on my team. But I feel like we need to mention Jeremy Grant and what he's been able to do. Um, this was a player that essentially everyone just looked at as a role player for many, many seasons. And no one's really given too much credit. And now he's essentially the focal point of the offense for the Pistons, they're not, you know, doing great, but he clearly doesn't have any help to work with. And he's still putting up 24.3 points per game. He's being asked to defend everyone, switch everything, solid efficiency, shooting 38% from three, 44% from the field, even though he's being asked to take really tough shots with poor spacing. Um, Jeremy Grant as a six man seems fair, even though Trey Young probably is having the more impressive season. Yeah, he's, he's definitely having a great season, and I definitely think he'll make it to the All-Star game. So I think with him and some of the other players that are having amazing seasons, we should see, similar to last year, a lot of first-time selections making the game. Who do you have for the West? So the West, I'm going to go ahead and start with the first guy, Nikola Jokic, who is averaging a triple-double right now. Um, I mean, how do you not put him as, as your number one guy in the West right now? His efficiency is far and away the highest in the entire league. Estimated wins added highest in the league, leading the league in assists as a center, volume score, efficient score, scores from everywhere. He's shown on the defensive end, something that a lot of people always criticized about him. He's actually been pretty elite this season on the defensive end in terms of defending the paint. Yeah, he's always going to be a little slow fitted on the perimeter. But overall, his impact on the game has been elite. So my starting forward or center would be Nikola Jokic. That's the first one. After that, I mean, you got to give it to LeBron James, obviously on the most successful team in the league right now, the leader of the team coming off a championship win in the finals, still maintaining his production, seemingly has found the fountain of youth. Um, LeBron James, other forward. Kawhi Leonard, I'm going to put him at the third forward spot. Um, the Clippers have actually quietly had a pretty good year to this point. They've seemingly made strides towards correcting some of the deficiencies they had last season. And I expect them to perform better in the playoffs this year than last year. I'm not saying they're going to be favorites or anything like that, but I do think that they're going to be improved. I also like how this season Kawhi Leonard has been an improved playmaker, which few people have been talking about. He's quietly having his career high in assists getting 5.7 a game. It seems that Kawhi, even at this stage in his career, is still adding certain aspects to his game. So I'm going to go ahead and pick him as my other forward um, from the two guard spots. I mean, I know they're going to be two point guards, but I'm going to have to go ahead and say Damian Lillard and Stephen Curry. Um, these two point guards essentially give you the same strengths a lot of the time. They give you basically three-point shooting range the second you cross the half court you got to guard them immediately they bend your defense like pretty much no other players in the league can they're the two best three-point shooters in the league in my mind uh right now especially off the dribble I don't think you can even argue that one but um those two would be my two starting guards and my six man off the bench 
is actually going to be playoff P, playoff Paul George off the bench, who I know that he does this every year. He has a great regular season. He, he talks a big game. Oh, yes, I'm, I'm, you know, I've reached a new level, blah, blah, blah. And then playoffs come and, it, and it's just playoff P again. But this season, he really does look a little bit different. And these awards are based off the regular season, to be fair. His efficiency metrics this season are insane. I don't actually know that anyone has had a 50-50-90 season. And he actually has a possibility of doing that this year, shooting 50-50-90. So I think that um, with the defense that he provides, the insane efficiency, the spacing, and the performance he's done to this point, I'd give him the six man. Solid choices. Uh, I think it's crazy to see Paul George and Kawhi both having the potential to have a 50-40-90, or as you alluded to, a 50-50-90 in PG's case. Um, I agree with you on the three forward spots. I think LeBron, Kawhi, and Jokic are locks, assuming that everyone stays healthy to the All-Star break. Um, I also have Steph in my backcourt, but man, you forgot about your boy. What about Luca? Luca is who I have. It's tough, man. It's tough. The thing is, Luca. Honestly, look, I will. I will say, I'm a big fan of Luca Doncic. But the thing is, man, Luca Doncic to this point in the season, although he is turning it around, he got off to a really slow start. The Mavericks are still kind of struggling a little bit, and he's been a little bit inefficient. His numbers are actually a little bit down from last year. I thought that this year inefficient. He's got a higher play efficiency rating than both Dame and Steph. He's almost averaging a triple double. Yes, his three point percentage. I mean, his percentage. Also, his but, free throw percentage. I would have liked to see him take a step forward statistically in those categories. His field goal percentage is about the same as it was last year. But still, you would expect his numbers, his efficiency numbers to go up some. His scoring is actually kind of down. Um, honestly, his numbers are down. Like, his numbers are still really good. They're still very elite. I'm not saying that the guy, first of all, it's hard to place him too. Like, obviously, he's a point guard, but it's hard to imagine him that way because he's six foot seven. But it's just, I dock him because his numbers are down from last year. They're still excellent, but they are down. Well, I think he will definitely be in the starting five. Uh, I, I, the hardest time I had was choosing between Dame and Steph. Uh, I think just from a fan vote perspective, both Luca and Steph will end up starting um, because I, I think it's too close of a call to decide between Dame and Steph. Um, but Steph is obviously, I think, the more beloved player from fans around the world and around the nation. Um, and I think Luca will get some of that international vote as well for getting into the starting five. So my starting five, Steph and Luca in the back, LeBron, Kawhi, Jokic in the front, and Dame as the sixth man. All right. So it looks like for the most part, we've got pretty good consensus. Just uh, swap around a couple of players from starters to six men. But um, moving on from the all-star teams, we've got a new segment for you guys today, the deposition. So we know that the whole Kyrie storm has been a very polarizing event. And of course, um, it seems that the most lovely fans are not just Knicks fans, but just New York fans in general. So one of our fans actually sent in a sworn statement challenging one of our opinions, which I mean, we were basically out here letting people know that Kyrie Irving at this point would probably be better off being traded for depth if the Nets actually want to go all in and win. We think that that would have probably been the better play for them. Um, and we have Yawada on Twitter letting us know that we have a blinded opinion because he believes in his mind that Kyrie Irving missed all those games and was inconsistent because he was purposely trying to hurt his own trade value in order to secure James Harden in a trade without having to give up Kyrie Irving in the process. So this is honestly some conspiracy theory type stuff. Um, I'll let Eric get into his opinion on it. He's a little bit more uh, willing to believe it than I am, but I personally could never believe that Kyrie Irving would take nearly a million dollars in fines just to try to hurt his own trade value perception to get James Harden in a trade. I think at the end of the day, the Rockets still got what they wanted. It's not like the Rockets' number one priority was Kyrie Irving in the trade anyway. What they wanted was draft capital, and they had been saying that from the start. So, And they, they literally took 
the entire Nets, like seemingly next eight years in terms of all their picks and pick swaps. So they, end, they ended up getting what they wanted ultimately. And when you look at a player like Kyrie Irving, who's literally hurt every year, seemingly, it would have been a lot easier if he wanted, in my mind, to hurt his trade value per se, to just act like he's hurt or something like that. And that I'm sure would have hurt his trade value some, and it wouldn't have cost him a million dollars in fines. Honestly, I don't, I don't buy into the conspiracy theory. I think that Kyrie Irving is just a non-committal player who really just likes to be on his own time and his own schedule and doesn't like to be told what to do. And I think that he took those fines not to purposely hurt his own trade value, but just because Kyrie Irving is like that. So that is my opinion. And honestly, I think that sounds a lot more reasonable than the conspiracy conspiracy theory that uh, Yawada was letting us know about. Yeah, I mean, the only way that this is true is if all of the chatter and the like, oh, Kyrie was talking to the coaches, Kyrie was talking to the teammates, only if that was true. And if they did not um, actually find him and it was just reported to the media that they find him, that would be the only way that all of this was true. Um, I, if Kyrie was healthy, if the Rockets wanted him or one of the third or fourth teams that they traded with wanted him, um, the Nets probably wouldn't have had to mortgage their future as much. So I don't know that the Nets would have necessarily agreed to that, uh, to have Kyrie sit out and, and give him the benefit of the doubt uh, just to diminish his trade value. So I'd honestly have to agree with you. If you look at something like Occam's Razor, where if you have to come up with all of these different scenarios as to why something happened versus what the actual easy truth is, which is Kyrie probably just didn't want to play and wanted to have the media narrative about him. Um, it's likely the simpler thing. So I'm, I'm going to have to go with it was a simpler thing and not this convoluted, oh, well, maybe aliens. <laughs> but we, we appreciate the input anyway. Uh, we encourage all of our followers on Twitter to reach out anytime you think you may have a better opinion. Reach out, and we're more than willing to explain to you why you're wrong. So feel free to send that. And that is our session for today. We hope you enjoyed it. Court is adjourned. Like us on Spotify, Stitcher, Bullhorn, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube now, so subscribe to the channel if you want to get your content from there. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stern.